Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's NYFF 61 edition, director Michael Mann and actors Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, and Gabriel Leon are joined by NYFF artistic director Dennis Lim for a discussion of Ferrari, making its North American premiere as the closing night selection of this year's festival. Closing night of NYFF 61 is presented by Campari. Michael Mann brings his astonishing command of technique and storytelling to bear on this emotional, elegantly crafted dramatization of the life of the legendary car manufacturer and entrepreneur Enzo Ferrari at a professional and personal fulcrum. It's 1957, and the marriage of Enzo, played by Adam Driver in an artfully internalized performance, and Laura, played by Penelope Cruz, a ferocious revelation, has begun to irrevocably fracture as a result of his philandering and the tragic recent death of their young son. Their unsettled domestic world is on a collision course with his work life as Enzo faces a pair of major turning points. Financial pressure to increase productivity, which means going against his long-standing desire to only produce race cars, and preparations for the treacherous cross-country open road Mille Miglia race. Dovetailing these narrative strands, man effortlessly shifts gears between elegiac and spectacular, climaxing in an exhilarating and terrifying race across the northern Italian landscape. This visual and oral wonder of revving machinery against bucolic splendor ranks with the greatest set pieces of man's career, with a magnificent cast, which also includes Shalene Woodley, Gabriel Leone, Patrick Dempsey, and Jack O'Connell, and glorious on-location shooting in Ferrari's hometown of Modena, man has constructed a marvel of classic cinema. Ferrari opens in theaters on December 25th, courtesy of Neon. To learn more about this year's NYFF and Film at Lincoln Center's year-round programming, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with Michael Mann and the actors of Ferrari. Thank you to all of you for being with us this morning. Uh, I thought I would start with just asking Michael to say a little bit about the origins of the project. It's I know it's been decades in the if not in the making, in, in the thinking. Uh, uh, and when did you first uh, think about making a film about Ferrari? Great uh, to We started with, with Sidney Pollack, Sidney Pollack, myself, and Troy Kennedy Martin, who wrote this, I think, brilliant screenplay. Um, began it together. I'd known Troy for quite a while before beforehand. He's a, wrote uh, some television, uh, Italian job. He's a terrific guy. And uh, so it began at, at that point. The um, uh, What was so interesting to me about it was the compression of all the dynamics of these tempestuous lives in three months. And um, to everything about who they were, which is very, was all, uh, it was the exact opposite of a linear biopic. I wouldn't have been interested in a linear biopic. So it's particularly this drama, this drama that you've just seen and its compression, which you know, excited me. So in the original screenplay, it was this compressed time period. This three-month period was what the original screenplay was about. It, well, it's based on a book. But but it takes a section of the book and then it it, it uh, evolves way beyond the book. I've known Piero Ferrari for about 20, 25 years. Spent a lot of time. Uh, come to know a lot about Lara, about Lena Lardi, you know her niece, everything about life and 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 Modena, and to try to get as acculturated into everything Modena says 
possible. And it, it, what, what happened over the years is that the more specific one got into that culture and these people and their psyche, I think the more universal the, you know, the, whole, the whole picture became. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that um, research process. I think there's a lot of, of detail uh, in, in the film. And maybe, Adam, you could speak a little bit to that as well in terms of researching a, this, a character at this very particular moment in his life. Um, you know, maybe both Michael and Adam, you could sure. speak to well, those. It, it's, it's, it's everything from uh, uh, biography to understanding who he was at 19, bereft and abject and turned in a rain. Uh, been turned on by Fiat uh, with, with coming to a very romantic uh, 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 decision, which is he asks himself, who shall I be in this world, and decides to become a romantic figure of a race car driver. From that to Adam and I being in, in, in Enzo's study, which has been untouched since he died in Piero's house, and looking at his diaries and his handwriting and the watch that he preferred, and so it's everything. It's sensorial input from objects. It's understanding the culture he's in um, uh, and having almost a tactile uh, uh, you know, input from all the objects and everything all around us. I mean, that's it. He kind of explained it. You know, it's just uh, information overload and take the things that uh, apply to you and uh, and make sense with the script and, and things that aren't like for he would sign things with purple pens, for example, because he didn't want anyone to duplicate his uh, signature, which to me was really helpful. It just spoke to someone who was really paranoid. And and you would read some of these uh, letters that he would write to, you know, kings of Monaco or really established people. He didn't give a shit who they were. He was very like you can you'll get your car when uh uh you know when i give it to you he, he, and the fact that he built a factory in modena of all places which i understand before the uh, him being there was mostly textiles but being there you totally understand how something like that could be made you know why why the light is different in italy in that place than it is in southern california Red, reds are different the smell of uh, the the farm nearby all of this stuff you kind of take in and then kind of discard things that don't apply to scenes and sometimes it just goes in subconsciously and it comes out to you know abstractly in something else you know but the, the uh michael is very big into internal life so you know i, I know from playing real people before again you take things that help it, uh, and, and open up impulses and you disregard things that don't but uh this image of him being by after his son had, or his brother had died and his father had died, being alone, really having to forge his own path, and it being a catalyst for how he lived the rest of his life was a, a, an internal thing that we talked about all the time. And also just the mentality of a racer was something we talked about a lot, which we did by, by racing Ferraris and Modena and, uh, uh, and, uh, and in California, to just understand that it's this myopic, prolonged focus uh and how do we duplicate that in playing him of someone who is very much a duck you know who's calm on the surface and and furiously paddling underneath and there's all of these pitfalls that are happening with you know the discovery of lena with laura and uh, the company going under and technology changing the game of racing and him taking in all of that information and and still trying to stay focused on what he's trying to uh to do yeah adam touched on his parents and his defensiveness, which is particularly Modernese attitude, which is which is has, for example, when he when he wrote his autobiography, it's called My Terrible Joy. It's not just my joy, it's my terrible joy. 
because no matter what, whatever good thing is happening, something really horrible is around the corner and somebody's trying to appropriate it from you. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just kind of a, um, uh, you know, a standing, a standing attitude. He, he said one thing. He, excuse me. He said, uh, you know, Italy, Italy will will forgive murderers. It'll forgive thieves. What it won't forgive is success. And this is the. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, Adam talked about trying to just inhabit the mentality, the mindset of a racer, uh, of racing. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little, Michael. If you can say a little bit more about that. Like, how would you describe it? And. I guess, how close is it to filmmaking? How close is? Is it to filmmaking? Um, the mindset one has to be in. I think it's close to, I think it's, I think it's close to everything aspirational. I mean, there's, there is the unique harmony when you and the machine become one and you're, when you get very, very good and very adept and you're not thinking of where you are at a moment in time in the track, you're thinking one or two, you know, one two turns ahead, and you're just thinking of what's going to happen, and you're you're downshifting at exactly the same point. You're turning in and breaking, and it's just it's like flow. It's like an eleven year old's dream of flying, and it has that unified thing. It becomes very addictive. Some some very uh, brusque men like Jean Berat, who who, breaks, who drives the Maserati in, in the beginning, described it. And the only time he ever uses floored language, he called it an ecstasy. And and foolish. Um, he was at that turn where Costalotti gets killed and observed it and wrote about it. That's how we know what happened to Costalotti, that he missed a shift from fourth to third and, and wound up getting killed. Um, so, you know, that it, it's an addictive to something that's 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 aspirational and I think it's very it's a very human value and it's universal in the sense that we that we all we try to run faster, further, uh, achieve more, go to the moon, whatever the limits are that are in front of us, we push outwards uh, as a species. And, and uh, I, I think it's my own personal theory that racing is you know, part of that. Penelope, I wanted to bring you in. Um, Adam talked about the importance of internal life. Uh, and I'm curious to hear you say a bit about how you approach this character and this performance. I mean, there's such an a fury and an intensity uh, to, to, to many of your scenes. So for me, it's very important to have that time. I, it's even more important than the time when you're shooting, to have real time. Sometimes it's by yourself doing that investigation of getting close, uh, getting to really understand who that being is. There is like um, added responsibility when you are playing a real person. And the world didn't know a lot about Laura Ferrari, but I was very lucky having Michael uh, introducing me to a lot of people that really knew her and really knew Enzo. Um, spending time in Modena uh, with those people, seeing the house where, she, where they lived, uh, seeing her bedroom. There were a lot of details, in the, even in the decoration, in a lot of details in the atmosphere that explain like, the kind of deep depression that she was in after losing Dino. Um, I was very lucky to be introduced to the doctor that she and Enzo shared, and he got really close to them, he he was one of their best friends. So 
I think Enzo was a big hypochondriac and and he would need to see the doctor at least twice a week and, and also became very good friends. But this doctor uh, gave me very crucial information and shared with me some love letters. Uh, he had copies of those love letters, like even from the times when everything was kind of broken and they had already lost Dino, and but there was still a very big love there and, and respect, but also probably both of them knowing that they would never recover from what happened. But for many reasons, it was worth it for them to stay together. And I think the number one reason it was it's that there was still a real love, um, not comfortable love, not easy, but um, I think they both had a great respect for each other. And also he had respect for what she did for the company from the beginning, because this is not in the movie, but it really touched my heart when Michael shared with me that at the beginning she sold like um, a very, very expensive bag that she had. And when Enzo was going to begin everything, she put that money there. So in a way, she was one of the the, the first um, investors in the movie with him. And also he really valued her ideas and, and the eagle eye that she had to know when people were lying. So I'm not saying that was the only reason why they stayed together, but there was also a, a, a big real love and huge amount of pain and those letters were very important for me to understand who this woman was and and also who he was Gabrielle I wanted to to bring you in into this um I assume that of everyone on stage you did the most driving right and race definitely sorry I thought he was asking sorry. me <laughs> Yes. Can you tell us about that experience? Actually, maybe, I don't know, maybe, Michael, you should talk about the cars first. Uh, Please. The, you know, <laughs> just making the cars for the film, uh, recreating these, these, these cars, and also, I guess I'm, question, I, I'm curious about how, how dangerous it actually felt uh, for, you know, the actors to... to the, um, well, everybody, everybody, I mean, I wanted everybody to have an experience of of uh, driving these cars on a racetrack, and uh, so everybody went to, unless they did it before, like Patrick Dempsey, who's had a couple of podium finishes as, at Le Mans and drives professionally. Uh, everybody had you know, race car driving uh, 101 and and, uh, and and drove these cars you know, on a track that we had in, in Modena, as well as Adam and I spending some time in Southern California doing the same thing. And um, uh, we, we, the only, the, uh, the car that Bayrod drives is actual, that's an actual uh, Maserati single-seater that, that's owned by Nick Mason, the Pink Floyd drummer, who he races in historical races. Everything else we, we, we recreated, and was a very, very complex uh, engineering operation. They had to be absolutely perfect and build on a CAD computer, which they were. And they had to be uh, safe, reliable, and, and go about 140, 150 miles an hour. So, um, uh, and so a lot of reactors are doing a lot of driving in the in the in the picture. Yes, for me it was um, pretty important to to have the the driving uh, experience before shooting. Um, I think for a month or more, we we 
we were on the track with professional stunt drivers. Um, and uh, I said that yesterday, um, when I learned how to drive, I think it's the same for uh, for every, anyone, you learn uh, to drive, how to drive defensively, to drive on the city with lights and at least trying to respect um, the others. And when you are racing, you're on a racetrack, you, you have a different mindset. So for me, uh, uh, having the, the opportunity to experience that was, was crucial for, for the character because uh, the Portago wasn't that much skilled driving. He was a sportman. He did all the kinds of sport you, you can imagine. He went uh, to the Olympics with the Spanish um, team for bobsled, I think for the first time, and um, the, the Winter's Olympic. And he was, a, uh, he was like a, um, a guy that loved more than anything. He, loves, he loved adrenaline. And I, think, I do think that's why he entered uh, the Formula One world. That's why he bought a Ferrari. That's why he went to see Ferrari and asked to drive for him. So for me, it was really, really important to have that, the experience uh, on the track, driving, uh, uh, really driving those cars and changing this mindset from driving defensively, of course, with all the support of the, of the stunts, but just uh, feeling more the, 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 what, a, what a, a racing driver feels when you are on the track, when you are, when you are you're, a, you're a little bit closer to, to danger. So um, yeah, it was, was, was uh, I think was the, the most important thing for, for the character. Adam, you had a, you also did some racing as pre as production uh, pre production and yeah we yeah we did in Modena then we in Southern California then when they built the chassis of the cars that we're gonna use it was like an open wheel single seater where they didn't put the the um, the body on it yet it was just the the chassis where the cameras were gonna connect we drove that on a. Um, you know, it was like an abandoned airstrip in in uh, in Modena to, and you can really feel how dangerous they are. You know, obviously versus a contemporary Ferrari, they're you know they, the I mean, the goal was to get thrown from the car because that was considered more safe mm -hmm. than than to be locked in this you know moving coffin. Uh, I'm just making up shit to say. Uh, 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 oh, I, I should say, <laughs> which he does all the time, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, uh, which movie is this for the, the uh, and, and, and you also, uh, they didn't have seat belts. So I wanted to say that, uh, at, not out of like a negligence. It just wasn't part of, it wasn't part of the culture. It wasn't, it was really an afterthought. Uh, there was a theory that you were better off being thrown from the car. Uh, Ferrari refers to two of his friends who got killed on the same day, Campari and Bozacchini. Um, who is a fact that he, the mausoleum we shoot is the actual family's mausoleum. That's the real place. And right to 100 
feet down the road are the graves, are the mausoleums for Campari and, and Bozzacchini, who were both killed. Um, so the idea was you'd rather be thrown from the car than dragged than dragged by the car. So that's why they didn't. That's why they didn't wear seatbelts. But what Adam was touching on is a real kind of a, something anachronistic to us, which is why did people. Uh, fight to get a seat in a Ferrari when the mortality rate was so high. The spring team that we see assembled, half of them were dead by the end of 1958. Peter Collins died in 58, so did Mike Hawthorne. There was another driver named Musa who also was killed in 58. And as as um, that's that racing, the, the racer mentality is so important to understand that about, about Enzo and uh, what, what drives him. Um, which he articulates in the Cavallino, the second Cavallino scene, uh, it'll never happen to me, it happens to my friend, I'm gonna give up driving on Sunday, back of the car by the next weekend. Um, and that's, that's a, there's a critical understanding to that, which is why we shot the black and white footage. So the one, we wanted to establish that Enzo is, is, a, is, a, is a racer and a race car driver mentality. He's not a businessman with, with a manufacturing company. So, and, and also, I guess, to explain how he's, the, again, we were talking about a lot is the, it pre, being pre-psychology that the, why he's come up with his own kind of coping mechanism to deal with all of that danger and still proceed, you know, how he feels he needs to by building a wall to stop um uh, to, to not not uh, get it in his own way from from uh, going as fast as he wanted to go. His cope, his self self made coping mechanism. Yeah, I was just going to say, and Laura is as much a part of this life as as Enzo is. One of the one of the in, in going into the background of of Laura and her biography, she was known as La Donna Buffa, the the card when Enzo met her as a, she was singing in cabarets in the 1920s in Turin. And as he writes in his autobiography, he fell head over heels in love with her and this vivacious woman. And um, uh, and they built this together. She pawned some of this is all backstory, but it's important to all all, all of us I mean, on the stage here. She pawns wedding gifts that he gave her to help buy the components to build the first car because they got an order and a 10% deposit and didn't have the money to actually build the, build the car. And then within uh, six races, that first car won a Grand Prix and then by, they won the world championship within five years. I'm just going to ask one more and then we'll, we'll open it up uh, to the audience. Um, I was wondering if you could speak, Michael, and also the actors, um, it, it, to the what you see as the significance of the opera scene uh, in, in the film. You, I was watching your Venice press conference and you described the film a, a couple of times as operatic. So I'm, I'm curious about you know the what that means to you and also the use of the opera. The, the opera scene, the opera scene for me, there's... there's two scenes in the film that bring back a really important backstory and and colliding into the present tense of the film the the second the, the second one is we refer to as scene one seventy it's when Enzo and Laura get into this argument and you we realize uh, his self-recrimination um, the great engineer okay that scene the first one is the opera scene and and it was the, the, the what I loved about that scene is that it, the whole sequence is that it dimensionalizes these people, including Adel Gisa, you know, her son Enzo's older brother, 
going off to war and never coming back. Uh, Enzo's brother and father died in the same year. And, um, and, and, and Lara recalling when, when they were young and living in a one-room apartment and uh, you know, with, with, with Dino, um, the, the, the charisma, the joy of uh, life in Enzo, Enzo expressed, uh, Lena Lardy, uh, you know, with uh, the moment she tells him in the bombed out ruins of the factory in 1945 that she's pregnant. Um, and, and, but larger than that, opera is in the blood, the lifeblood of Modena. Pavarotti is from Modena. The Storky is the actual Storky. It really is next door. You really can't hear the opera through the walls into the Ferrari house. That really is the Ferrari house next door. Um, the Commonale, which is right around the corner, is where Pavarotti began. And Modena had two football teams, two race car manufacturers, and two opera companies. And um, uh, an opera was a was a cross class uh, you know, event. Everybody went to the opera. The same people went to the football games, went to the opera. And if a tenor missed a note, he heard about it from the audience. So it's it's a very raw, vital, um, you know, expression over uh, over large expression of emotion. We sit back as audience just wafts across us. And brings and, and generates memory, sensory memory within us, and that's the way opera works. There's also another irony which I'll get into, which has to do with that aria and Traviata and also the likes of Enzo Lara. But anyway. I don't know if either Adam and Penelope wanted to add to that. For me, it was a very emotional scene to shoot because, um, you know, Michael just left the music playing and just go into your own the travel with your imagination about the the good moments that you had together as a couple and, and with Dino and left the camera rolling for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And it, it was like a, a very important moment for me where I also discovered a lot of things about her. And also, you know, once again, there is an event that changes even more her life, you know, I'm discovering that there is a new, a new family, a, a new, that he has another son. Um, now she has to get strength from, I don't know where, but she gets it. But, but it's, it's a very hard thing to deal with when you are already in such a state of pain and sadness and desperation to, to see that there was more and you didn't knew. You didn't know, and maybe you are the, one of of the few people around in your environment that doesn't know about this reality that your your husband is is having. Actually, another full family. So, it's a very very important scene for that reason. A scene with no dialogue, but that says so much. All right, we will take a few questions. Um, all right, we'll screen start here in the front row. Good morning. Thank you guys for coming. Um, Michael, I wanted to ask you that your characters are typically very methodical and have to go through um, a lot of information to find their way through chaos to get what they want. And I was wondering when you're dealing with production and all the factors of doing that, do you have any axioms or um, sayings to help you through that? Well, if you're Every one of us has ambitions are all 
complex and of, you know, if you're directing a film about a character, you know, I, I truly believe you should, you know, an, an, an actor coming into character, they dedicate themselves to, to, to believing they are that person. And, and that begins with being able to do what that character does for real in life. And, um, uh, you know, I believe audiences are quite brilliant. We're, we're, we're perceptually smarter than we even realize. We pick up everything. And if something isn't complete, there's, it lacks a truth-telling style, if you like, or a vibe. Audiences know it. But they then are removed from being in the film, and now they're just observing it. And I want audiences not as observers. I want them engaged, just like I want to be engaged. And then I've come to believe that, that's, that that is an accumulation of actionable, not gratuitous, but a actual actionable, you know, uh, method and detail. And, you know, can Jimmy Khan, he really can open a safe, you know, and Adam really can run a car company. This is <laughs> and drive a car. This go? <laughs> and Lara really is a CFO and, and is a forceful, you know. So all of the... And we do this work, you know, it's not, it's not work. I mean, it's, we probably are all the same school saying, why would you want to do it any other way except do the deep dive, you know? So we do it. You mentioned that um, Modena has um, a history in the textile industry. And I was wondering about the clothing for Enzo. Did he have his clothes made in Modena? Did you, did you use any of that local fabrics for his yellow sweaters and his very engineered clothes. The, I don't mean this is pejorative sense. The, the costume, um, you, when, when, you, when all of us put on clothes, we feel a certain way. And you want to be putting on that period wardrobe. And so that's terribly important. The, the, the true... Uh, Richness to me is in in being in in, in Penelope being Lara and Gabriel being De Protago and Adam being Enzo, and the clothes can make you feel a certain way. Color wise, you know, there's monochrome through this film because it's the importance. If you think about Lara's bedroom, uh, you know, it's all of one color. It's, I mean, Enzo's bedroom and Lara walks into it, and Enzo's there. It's all one color, and that's because I want your attention focused on what's happening on these two actors' faces. So, and Deep Portago, we know from uh, a lot of historical pictures how he dressed. He looked, was described as looking like Marlon Brando from The Wild One when he gets, gets off the train. And he's seventh in line for the Spanish throne, but, but his, uh, his demeanor was, 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 was like that. So that was very particularly modeled on the historical Deep Portago. Hi, um, I wanted to ask about uh, Laura's character, specifically the kind of power that she has towards the end. Um, I mean, in a lot of your films, this, there's this kind of tragic relationship to time. I mean, this time is luck. There's some sense in which at the end, Laura seems to kind of, often it's men who have this, this kind of tragic relationship to time in your films, but seems like here, Laura, specifically at the end when she, um, you know, offers to use the money in this way, no conditions except... Um, anyway, I'm just wondering if you could talk about her uh, in that moment and what kind of power, what kind of sort of responsibility she takes on. For me, I feel he gave me such a great treasure, you know, with, with this character that represents uh, so many women 
in history and still today in so many places around the world is not a minority of women that still are constantly invalidated about what they do and, and work from the shadows and hidings. And in this case, Laura has a, a husband that loves her and respects her, even if they're hating each other and almost like literally killing each other, like the first scene in the movie, the presentation of my character. <laughs> um, but, but as I said before, there is a love there, there is a respect, there is a history, and he really considers her part of, of this company. Um, not as trying to be kind to her. No, it's that he thinks she's important to, for her to have a voice, to have her eye, to keep watching, to have her watching everybody. There are a lot of things. I mean, she was even more involved than what we see here. In some of the books, I found out uh, that she would sleep next to the tires in the races so that nobody would damage them or, or steal them. And I feel like, well, I wish we had that here. But even if the scene is not here, Michael has found a way to transmit all of that. Like the, 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 the heavy weight, the importance that she had in this company when that for a woman in those years in a place like Italy was like science fiction. So um, this could have gone in many directions no? to tell this, this story about, about them. And she could have been just a woman that is very sad, very depressed. They lost a kid. They hate each other, but they love each other. But it's so much more than that. I think he really did uh, wrote and directed in a way that became a beautiful homage to all the women that continue to live in the shadow, you know, of of men and not just of men in general, of our society, and and the. I, I don't know. I, I thought it was that when I read it, but then I would see in the set every day with some of his uh, directions um, that he that this was really important for Michael uh, to accomplish that. And then I felt so blessed and so lucky that I could have in my hands a character that represents that and that really can be a homage to all those women. Just to piggyback off of what you were talking about with uh, um, uh, Mr. Mann's direction, um, how much time do you do you commit any time to doing rehearsals and um, and if you do, how much of what you have planned in rehearsal changes to onset and I guess for Adam and for everyone else on um, stage two when you're actually on set, you know, like do you feel like that something has changed because you're actually in the clothes, you're on the set as opposed to maybe sitting at a round table or in a studio or something? Um. We, we do a lot of work in advance of rehearsals, of getting into queer, getting into characters, a certain art and designing a curriculum that's going to help, you know, bring an actor. Um, we're going to help an actor bring himself into character, herself into character. And it's different for every actor, by the way. There is no one school of this. Every actor comes from a different school. You know, but but uh, there's a lot of design of experiences that, that are going to be meaningful. Um, you know, Adam and I going into the Classique division and having somebody take a V12 engine, well then Preddy engine, turn it upside down and showing us really how this works. And it's like looking at the inside of a switch, switch watch. Or, or Penelope and I going into the bedroom that Laura spent the last year and a half of her life in, never leaving and seeing this wallpaper that was insane. 
and just took our breath away. And we knew what it was the significance of it. It was like an evocation of who she was in the 1920s. And this is what, how she was living in the 70s. So it's those kind of things. But then, then it's also, you know, the, the history and very complex, um, sometimes very complicated stuff about the psyche sociology, value systems, authority, what, what are the authority structures culturally, all, all of that. But in the rehearsals, it's my belief, I never like to take rehearsals to the point where it's something I wish I was shooting. So we, we always try to stop, you know, and we just kind of sketch it in because the magic happens, you want the magic to happen on the set on take five, six or seven, not, you know, three weeks earlier. So that's it. I'm afraid we are out of time, and I want to thank all of you for the film and for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you.